Thanks for joining us for our Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. We're currently in our series, Fresh Fruit, where we are diving into the fruit of the Spirit. As a believer, the fruit of the Spirit should be coming out of our lives. It should be shown in all that we say and do. Just as when you see an apple tree, you see apples on it. As a Christian, others should see you and see the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. They should see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. They should see Jesus in us. Our vertical relationship with God must be lived out in our horizontal relationships with others. So let's jump in together to this week's message of fresh fruit. We're so glad you're here. Well, on a scale of one to 10 this morning, where would you rate your joy level? Okay, one being I don't have much joy right now. Maybe it's just in this moment or maybe kind of in life in general. One is I really don't have a lot of joy right now. And 10 is I am overwhelmed with joy. I mean, I could run through that wall right now. I'm so joyful. So somewhere between 1 and 10, all of us are on that continuum. And so I want you to come up with that number. And I'm not going to make you say that number aloud. I'm not going to make everybody who's four or below stand up so we can shame you. That's not the purpose of this illustration. But what I want you to do is to do a self-inventory. Just answer that question honestly and come up with a number in your mind. Where am I between one and 10 on my joy level? Do you have a number? Everybody have a number? Come on, y'all awake? This is a joy day. Come on, are you got a number? So there's a number in your head, right? So whatever that is, I just want you to think about it. Maybe it's a two, maybe it's an eight, whatever the case might be. My follow-up question is, if you're at a three, what would move you to a 10? If you're currently at a five, what would have to happen in your life for you to move from a five to a 10? Maybe you're at an eight today. And what are those couple additional things that might move you from an eight to a 10. Hopefully you have some things in your mind right now. Maybe your mind is circulating around uh, some, some circumstances or some issues or some certain things that, hey, if that was different in my life, I would have joy. Or if I just had that, maybe I would have a little bit more joy. I'm sure there are many things that are in your head right now or kind of in your heart. Maybe it's something like, if I just had a little bit more financial cushion, I would be a little bit more joyful. Maybe if I had just a little bit more resources, I would be joyful. Maybe if the McRib was a year-round menu item, you know, you'd be, you'd be more joyful. Maybe you need pumpkin spice lattes all year long, you know, and so if they were available all year, you would be joyful. Maybe if Janet would stop replying all at work, you know, <clears throat> I'm sorry for the Janets in the room. I, that was just a, a name I picked. Uh, maybe if you were married, you would say, you know what, if I was married, I would have joy in my life. Maybe if my HOA would simmer a little bit, you know, I, I would have a little bit more joy. If, if I had a different job, I would have more joy in my life. Maybe if, if some of the parents could figure out how to get their kids out of the car a little bit quicker during car rider line. Okay, I'm just venting now at this moment in time. But the likelihood is there are some things in your mind right now that you think will bring you more joy. And the question at hand this morning, the goal of our day, if you will, is to answer the question, will they really? The things that are in your head right now that you think will move you from a 3 to a 10, will they really, or is there something else at play here? I'm excited to take an honest look today at this word joy. As we continue in this series called Fresh Fruit, where we're looking at the fruit of the Spirit, and I do not believe it's by accident that any one of you are here. For those of you here with the very first time today, to those of you that have been called Rolling Hills home for the past 10 years, my prayer is that God would give us a deeper understanding 
of where joy really comes from and why joy matters and what purpose it has. And I'm grateful for your presence today. And so I invite you, wherever you are, to pray with me, to just ask God to come and to work and to change us in a way that only he can. Will you pray with me? Lord, thank you for this day. I'm so grateful for your presence in this place. Thank you for a powerful morning of worship. Thank you for community. Thank you for just an opportunity to be here. God, we don't take this uh, for granted that we get to assemble together today. And I pray that you would change us through your word, that you would mold us, that you would help us to be conformed more and more to Jesus Christ today. And it's in his name that we pray and ask all these things. Amen and amen. Now, Pastor Jeff did an amazing job last Sunday of kicking off our series, this series called Fresh Fruit, when we're going week by week by looking at this fruit of the Spirit. And last week, Pastor Jeff talked about love and how we are to grow and love this first fruit of the Spirit. But seeing that we're only two weeks into this series, I want to reiterate just a couple points for you. I want to highlight a few things about this concept of fruit of the Spirit. And so the Bible says a lot about these fruit of the Spirit, but particularly in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, is where you'll see these fruit of the Spirit listed. And so I'm going to read those for us this morning. If you have a copy of God's Word, open with me to Galatians chapter 5. You can hop on that app. You're going to see these words up here on the screen as well, as well as there's some notes that maybe you can fill in a little bit later on on your worship guide if you're interested in doing so. But all that will be up here on the screen. But starting in Galatians 5 verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, which also means patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Let me read them one more time. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So last week we were talking about love. This week we're talking about joy. Next week, we're going to talk about peace. Maybe you need to just kind of write these on your calendar to make sure that you don't miss the week that corresponds most with what you're currently dealing with. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and let you know, September 4th is patience. That's a shoe-in for all of us. Okay, so uh, I definitely expect to see you that day. But what we need to understand about these fruit of the Spirit is that they're not fruits, plural, of the Spirit. They are fruit, singular, of the Spirit. As the Holy Spirit grows us, and as we get closer and closer to God, conform to the image of Jesus Christ, these fruit grow in our lives. Now, you don't have to be an agricultural expert to know that fruit grows on a vine, or fruit grows on a plant, or fruit grows on a tree. And when you think about your life and the growth that happens in your life, these fruit of the Spirit only grow in our life because of God. The closer we get to God, the more that these fruit began to be evidenced in our life. Now, sometimes, though, people confuse the fruit of the Spirit for spiritual gifts. And so I want to make sure that we're all kind of on the same page with that, because this could be a sermon for another day. But in Scripture, just Google this later if you're interested in learning more about spiritual gifts. You can go to our website. We actually have a spiritual gifts inventory, a test that you can take that will kind of help you understand your spiritual gifts. But according to Scripture, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have a spiritual gift. And that gift could be anything from the gift of mercy to the gift of administration to the gift of leadership. And that gift was given to you for the edification of the body of believers. And so that's why we ask you to serve, to use that gift. Maybe it's a gift of leadership and you find ways to, to serve, or maybe it's a gift of mercy and you find ways to use that gift. The fruit of the Spirit are not just kind of doled out one by one to us from God. You may have the gift of administration. I might not have that gift, and that's okay. 
But when it comes to the fruit of the Spirit, you can't say, you know, I have the gift of love, but not the gift of patience. Or, yeah, I have gentleness, but not kindness. Because, see, these are all or nothing. As we grow closer and closer to God, we grow in these fruit. Now, does that mean that some of these fruit are going to become are, are a little more natural to you than others? Absolutely. Nothing wrong with that. Some of these are going to be a little bit harder for us to kind of work through, so to speak. But the fruit of the Spirit that we're talking about today that should be evidenced in our life that we're kind of looking at today is this word joy, what it means to be a person of joy. And so I want to take us to Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. If you have, uh, following along with me, go to Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, and listen to what Paul says to the church at Philippi. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Now, if I was putting this in my own words, I would say, find great joy in the Lord. Let me hear it again. Find great joy in the Lord. Find great joy in the Lord. One more time. Great joy in the Lord. He's saying, rejoice. I say it again, rejoice. And this verse was a part of a letter that Paul wrote to the church at Philippi. And it's often referenced by biblical scholars and by Bible teachers as the joy letter or the happiness letter because this concept of joy is all over the book of Philippians. But what you need to understand is some context of the book of Philippians. This was a letter that was written to the church, and maybe you know this already, but Paul was not at a resort with his legs kicked up, sitting on a beach, writing this letter about rejoicing. He was actually in prison. He was in chains for the sake of the gospel. And so the fact that this is coming from a man who's in a very adverse circumstance should tell us a thing or two about the biblical definition of joy. That joy isn't just based on circumstances, but rather there's got to be something deeper. Now, I've always been a fan of words, and I believe in the power of words and understanding what words really mean. And with this topic that we're looking at today, it's, it's very easy for us to insert words for joy that don't really mean joy. Maybe you hear the word joy and you're like, ah, joy, happiness, fun, you know, they're all the same. But is joy and happiness and fun all the same word? No, they're really close, but they're not the same. Look at this. Joy, happiness, and fun are incredibly similar, but vastly different. Joy, happiness, and fun are incredibly similar, but vastly different. You can't just use these words interchangeably. That's why the biblical definition of joy that we're going to look at here in just a second is such a standout. Now, is happiness worth pursuing? Absolutely. Should life be fun? Absolutely. I am unashamedly on a happiness fun quest in my life. I like to have fun. I like to be happy. I like to have joy. But happiness, fun, and joy are not all the same. Look at this quotation by Elizabeth Elliot. I love this quotation. Because she sums up for us the difference between joy and happiness. She says, and I quote, The world looks for happiness through self-assertion, but the Christian knows that joy is found in self-abandonment. That is so rich. That the world looks for happiness through self-assertion. What does that mean? It means that I am happy when I insert myself into whatever situation I want to insert myself into. As long as I get what I want, I will be happy. But she says, the Christian knows that joy is found in self-abandonment. If a man will let himself be lost for my sake, Jesus said, he will find his true self. And I love this quotation for a lot of reasons. One, particularly, is because Elizabeth Elliot was uniquely capable of commenting where joy came from. 
Because if you know anything about her story, her husband Jim Elliott was a missionary in South America, and he was put to death by the very people he was trying to reach. And that would make a lot of us bitter. That would make a lot of us not very joyful. But Elizabeth Elliott decides to not stop the work, goes back, continues to reach people for Jesus in the very tribe that her husband was put to death by. Why? Because she realizes that happiness comes and goes. That if I'm only happy when I get what I want, then I'm really not after joy. Joy is found in self-abandonment by putting myself last, by losing myself, and in doing so, I find Jesus and the joy that comes from him alone. I find joy in my life when I surrender to Jesus. I don't find joy in my life when I make life all about me, but rather when I'm growing in my dependence on him. Go with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 and 18. 16 through 18, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. You see the word joy in Galatians. You see the word rejoice here in 1 Thessalonians, and they're the same Greek root word. The Greek word for joy in Galatians is kara. The Greek word here for rejoice in 1 Thessalonians is kairo. And you're like, those sound really familiar because they are. They're the same root word. They just have a little bit of a different kind of expression, if you will. But at the heart of both of these words, it's not about just being glad. Because the biblical word for joy is not just gladness. But when you look at this Greek word, what it's missing in our English translation is gladness because of God's grace. A gladness because of God's grace. So, so therefore, joy is an overflow in my life because of the grace of God, hence the fruit of the Spirit. See, whereas happiness comes and goes. Happiness is situational. Happiness rises and falls based on circumstance. Happiness says I'm only going to be happy if I get the ice cream flavor that I want. There's only one ice cream flavor that I really, really want, and I'm only going to be happy if I get that. Joy says, ice cream, sure. I'll take it all. Don't have what I like? Sure, I'll take this one. A little bit let down there? No problem. There's something else. It's not based on circumstances. But if you look back at the text, if you look back at the text, it says rejoice always. There's not a lot of confusion in the Greek from that phrase. Rejoice always means to always be a person who is joyful and rejoicing. It says to pray continually. Tuck this is away. This is for a later day, but a person of joy is a praying person. A joyful person is a praying person. If you're not where you want to be, maybe you're at a five and you want to get to a 10, I would encourage you to evaluate your prayer life because as we pray continually, We become closer and closer to God. And then we are to give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you. See, God's will for my life is that I would be able to rejoice in all circumstances, that I would be content in all circumstances. So according to Scripture, this biblical definition, this biblical concept of joy and rejoicing, and you see this here on your screen, is that joy then is the fruit of a content heart. Joy is the fruit of a content heart. Heart. Sometimes if I were to ask you, what is the opposite of joy? Maybe you would say sadness. Or maybe pain is the opposite of joy. Or frustration is the opposite of joy. When in reality, the opposite of joy is discontentment. Because joy is the fruit of a content heart. Last week, Pastor Jeff shared with us that we tend to think the opposite of love is hate. When in reality, the opposite of love is apathy. It's just not caring 
to begin with. How do I know that sadness is not the opposite of joy? Because I can still be sad and experience joy. I mean, think about if you've lost someone recently. I lost a dear friend of mine uh, at the end of last year, and I'm still incredibly sad about that. But I haven't lost joy. Some of you have lost a parent or a grandparent in the last season of life, and you're incredibly sad about that. But because you know where they are now, and because you know of the joy that you have from the Lord, nothing has been able to rob your joy because they are whole now. They're whole with Christ. The opposite of joy is truly discontentment. Because, see, we tend to not be very joyful because we're not very content. Happiness always says, when everything goes my way, I will be happy. But joy says, I don't have to have everything going my way for me to be able to rejoice. In all circumstances, I will rejoice and grow in joy. Many of you know that I was able to spend some time down in the Amazon earlier this summer working with our jungle pastors through our mission arm, Justice and Mercy International. And I'm always so moved by spending time with these men and women for lots of reasons, but one particularly is their joy is palpable. Their joy is just incredibly refreshing to me because from worldly standards, they have nothing. I mean, we are richest of the rich compared to most of the world, especially these men and women. They live along the banks of the Amazon River, and every year during the flood season, the floods waters rise so high that their houses are completely underwater. Many of these men and women have zero budgets for ministry, and they're serving in communities that do not welcome them where they serve, but yet through smiles, they exude joy because they know that joy is not circumstantial. And they know that no matter how little we may have from the worldly standards, nothing can rob the fact that the joy of the Lord is our strength. During the last night of worship when we were there, a conga line broke out during worship. And I thought to myself, this would never happen at our church. Um, (laughs) But they don't allow things to rob their joy. But if we're not careful, if we're not cognizant of this, we will allow things to rob our joy. And I like to call these little things that kind of, kind of crouch at the door that are always there ready to rob us of joy if we're not willing to, 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 to kind of cut them off at the pass, so to speak. And so there are many things that could rob us of joy, but I want to highlight just three of them. Three of them that I'm sure you have dealt with as I have in my life. Worry, comparison, and jealousy are joy robbers. If you want your joy to be robbed from you this morning, then lean into worry. Worry a little bit more. Compare yourself to everybody else. And be jealous and envious of what's going on in everybody else's life. And I promise you what will happen is your joy will decrease, decrease, decrease. Now, what do worry, comparison, and jealousy all have in common? What they all have in common is they're not fruit of the Spirit. And because they're not fruit of the Spirit, they're going to war against the fruit of the Spirit in our life. And if we were to take these one by one, what does worry do in your life? Worry puts me in a place that I try to control everything out of my control. I worry about everything that may or may not happen in the future. I create these scenarios in my head of everything that may happen, and when reality, most of it doesn't. Do you know that most statisticians will say, conservatively, about 85% of the things that you're worried about right now actually never happen? 85% conservatively of the things that you're worried about never come to fruition. That's why Matthew 6.34 says, do not worry about tomorrow 
Why? Because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. In the words of the great theologian M.C. Hammer, we've got to pray, pray just to make it today. I mean, tomorrow is a whole nother day. It's only because of God's grace and mercy that I can make it through today. But what do I tend to do? I tend to worry about all the tomorrows, and it robs me of my joy. How about comparison? I'll just skip this one because I know it's none of us. (laughs) Comparison is a huge struggle for us, men, women, young, old. We deal with this comparison trap, but comparison is this kind of big shield that prevents you from being content. And remember what the definition, biblical definition of joy is? It's a content heart. Joy is content. Well, when you compare your salary, you compare your influence, you compare, you know, whose teacher did, did, did my daughter get versus whose teacher did you get? How good is my son at baseball versus how good your son is at baseball? See, these things snatch your joy and they rob you of your joy. Why? Because you're a comparison. You can't be content. You can't even enjoy things anymore because you're just simply comparing yourself to everybody else. I see this all the time. Both of my young kids play sports. I see it on the sport fields all the time. Parents who can't enjoy their kids playing sports because they're just watching everybody else to see, do we measure up? Now, how do I know that that happens? Because I'm guilty of it. And maybe you would be honest enough to say that as well. And then finally, jealousy, an epic proportion in our lives. Just like comparison, if we do not kind of keep jealousy at bay, it will grow and grow, and it is hard for us to love someone we're jealous of. It is hard for us to find joy in moments when jealousy is rearing its head because, see, that envy leads to a really bitter heart. And what do bitter hearts do? Bitter hearts always seek to make themselves happy. Bitter hearts always seek to prioritize themselves. Go back to 1 Thessalonians 5. When you realize that God is in control of my life, to pray continually, to give thanks in all circumstances, then your faith was this truth that as long as I think I'm in control or as long as I yearn to be in control, the more likely that joy will be somewhat elusive in my life or it'll be pretty hard to track down. In fact, you see this here on your notes. The more you desire to be in control, the more joy will lag behind. Just try this out sometime. Just kind of let yourself be in control a little bit more and more each day. Think you're in control a little bit more, and the gap between joy and your present state will just only get deeper and deeper and deeper. The more you desire to be in control, the more joy will lag behind. Look at Romans 15:3. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't you love that phrase, filled with hope? That you and I can be filled with hope as we trust in him. Filled with hope and joy as we trust in him. Now, this is a safe assumption. I I believe this is probably the least divisive thing I will ever say on this stage. Are you ready for it? This is what I know to be true for everyone in this room. No one wants bad circumstances to happen in their life. No one. You don't want bad circumstances to happen in your life. I don't want bad circumstances to happen in your life. You don't want bad circumstances to happen into my, in, in, in my life. But do bad circumstances find their way into our lives? Absolutely. Daily. All the time. But according to Romans, God fills us with hope and fills us with joy as we trust in him. <clears throat> Meaning that I have to realize I'm not in control. And there's some contentment that comes with that. 
the reality is people get diagnosis. People get cancer diagnosis. We die. You lose jobs. You lose friends. You lose a spouse. And I'm not going to stand up here on this stage and say you have to be happy about those things. But I will tell you, the person who trusts in God says no matter what happens in my life, the joy is not going to be robbed in my life because the joy came from God. And it did not rise and fall with this circumstance because it came from God alone. If I can only find joy when everything's going my way, it's really not joy that I'm after. It's happiness that I'm after. And those are two different things. Now, along those same lines, though, I need to be cautious and think that life's all about me. Because just like the more I make kind of life, kind of desire to be in my control, joy lags behind. You see this here in your notes as well. But I will not have joy when I consider myself most important. But I will always have joy when I consider God and others most important. It's kind of the secret sauce, if you will. I will not have joy in my life when I consider myself most important, but I will always have joy when I consider God and others most important. A lot of us have spent a lot of time and a lot of money keeping ourselves as the most important person, and those things that we've bought, those things that we've done, those things that we've kind of chased after, so to speak, have not brought us joy. People build multiple car garages and fill them with beautiful cars, thinking they're going to bring them joy, and, and they don't. Sometimes you'll go to the, uh, uh, you'll see a dumpster, or you'll get a picture of a dump, and you're thinking to yourself, that's kind of like a graveyard of lots of things that people thought were going to bring them joy. But they don't. Some of our credit card statements are really, really overwhelming because we have bought a lot of things thinking that they would bring us joy, things that were about us, but they didn't deliver. And you're still paying the price for it. See, the problem is as long as it's about me first, the joy doesn't follow. But when it's about God and others, that joy is ever present. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 certainly affirms this because it shows us the model of Jesus and what is Jesus has done for us and the example that we are to follow. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. There is so much great content in these two verses. But we are to run the race that is set before us, and we are to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. In joy, Jesus's life was offered as a sacrifice for you. He willfully, graciously, obediently gave his life so that you could have life. And maybe you're thinking to yourself, that doesn't sound very joyful, Pastor Jason. Well, see, what the world was trying to do is the world was thinking story is over. But God had a different story altogether. Because in sending his son Jesus, his blood was shed for the salvation and for the forgiveness of sins for everyone, past, present, and future. They hung him on that cross, and he came down off that cross. He was put in a tomb, and three days later, he burst forth out of the grave to show us he conquers everything in our life and that our joy can be found in him and him alone. That is incredibly good news this morning. It's the power of the gospel. And if you've yet to surrender your life to Jesus Christ, it will be the most joy-filled act that you ever follow through with. And if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I promise you, joy will always be elusive in your life. You won't find it. 
because it's only found in God. It's found in a heart that's surrendered to him. And so if we can pray for you this morning, if you want to make a note on your card that I'd love to talk with someone about what it means to follow Jesus Christ, that you can stick around after the service, just know that we would find such great joy in pointing you to Jesus, the one who is the author and perfecter of our faith. For joy set before him, he endured the cross. And we are to go and do likewise to follow this example that Jesus set by putting other people first and serving others. I said a few minutes ago that a joyful person is a praying person. A joyful person is also a serving person. Someone who says, no, I want the needs of others to be prioritized. See, joyful people wake up in the morning and they don't think to themselves, how can I get ahead today? Joyful people wake up in the morning and they think to themselves, how can I point others to Jesus today? Joyful people don't wake up in the morning and think to themselves, who can I step over today to get what I want? Who can I bypass? Who can I, you know, barrel through so that I can have everything that I want? No, joyful people wake up in the morning and say, who can I lend a listening ear to today? Whose life can I point to Christ? Whose life can, can be shaped radically by Jesus working in and through me. Do you know some people like that? I hope that you do, because when I look out at this room, I see those people. I see so many of you who I would put squarely in this category of the joy of the Lord is your strength. And I know some stories about some people in this room, and I know that in those stories, there are extreme challenges, and there's extreme adversities, but yet you've continued to be faithful to what it is that God is asking you to do. See, those are the people that impact you the most. The greatest impact in your life and the greatest impact that you will have is probably going to come when you least expect it. But when you're serving and praying and leading and just living life with joy and allowing these fruit of the Spirit to grow and to manifest themselves in your life, people will be changed because of that. And sometimes we think, oh, I have to have a stage to make a difference in the lives of people. People on stage don't make the difference in the lives of people. It's you doing life with them and pointing them to Jesus. There's so many examples that I have of this that I've seen in my life, and I'm so grateful for that. I'm, I'm thankful for my grandfather who modeled this for me. My grandfather's name was Asa, and uh, what you need to know about him is he was just an awesome guy. Um, he was such a loving um, man, and he was a manly man, but he also understood that to really be a man was not to be so manly that you weren't in touch with the fact that you need to let people know that you love them and that you care for them, and he raised um, my dad and, and, and my aunts and uncles in such a powerful, positive way, and then it was such a positive influence in my life. But he was a bivocational pastor. Uh, he was also a warden for the Department of Fish and Wildlife, meaning he was the guy that would give you a ticket if you didn't have a fishing license. You know, or he was the guy that would tell you you're not supposed to be hunting that during this season. So not necessarily the most popular person in the room. Uh, but he was also a farmer, and uh, in all of those moments, I saw him just continue to exude joy, and his circle and sphere of influence only grew with age. It's a, it's a rare person who can be really, really loved and respected by the senior adult women at church, the guy you're giving a ticket to, and the next-door farmer who's, you know, dealing with your cows getting on his property one more time. But I saw it with my eyes that he served with such joy and the fruit of the Spirit was so evident in his life in each of those interactions. And he would talk to me about the importance of being a person of joy. 
He would talk to me about the importance of choosing joy even when you were going through difficult seasons. And I remember the last couple of months that we had with my grandfather. He had been diagnosed with cancer, and cancer had, had literally taken over his body, and, and he was doing some, you know, kind of last, um, kind of final treatments, those kinds of things. And a few months before he died, he asked me and my family if I could drive him to these treatments. And what you need to know is that I was a high school student, a newly licensed driver, and my family agreed to this arrangement. So, yeah, they're going to let this me drive my grandfather. And so we get about two miles away from our house, and he said, you know I'm not supposed to drive. Everybody's told me not to drive, but if you want to pull over, I'll drive us the rest of the way. (laughs) And so, of course, I obliged, and I let him drive, and then we get to the treatment, and he said, you know, the doctors have told me I'm not supposed to have junk food, but, you know, French fries and banana splits sound really good. So if you want to drive to the ice cream place or McDonald's, you know, I wouldn't stop you from doing that. And so it kind of became our little bond. And I realized that I put him on a pedestal, but we were basically lying to our family. So, you know, just <laughs> do as I say, not as I do, I guess. But, um, but the reality is what I saw in those moments is something that significantly marked me. Because I would watch my grandfather interact with these nurses who were giving him chemotherapy. And even in his last days of life, he was more concerned about their spiritual condition than his own. He was more concerned about their spiritual condition than his comfort. And he would ask them, and I would see it. He would ask them, how can I pray for you? How can I walk alongside you? And then I would see him walk into that McDonald's, and I would see him give such respect and dignity to that young lady working behind the counter. And he would have these opportunities to pray for people and to point them to Jesus. And it's because the joy of the Lord was his strength. And even in the most adverse of circumstances, He said, I'm not going to allow my joy to disappear. And at his funeral, our neighbor who came, who was literally the town drunk, (laughs) he came to his funeral and he said to us, I've never known a finer man than your grandfather because he never judged me, but he always loved me. And he always led me and and pointed pointed me to Jesus. And I saw in his ministry a very deep and a very wide throw. And I believe that that can happen for us. It's my desire in my life to live that way because why does all this matter? See, all of this matters because joy is one of the greatest apologetics to a broken world. What does that weird word mean? Apologetics is a really fancy way to say evidence. Joy is one of the greatest evidences to a broken world that Jesus has changed your life. The evidence to a world that is hurting, that Jesus is good and holy and trusting, is the love and the joy and the peace and the patience, etc., that you show in your life. Go back with me to Philippians 1.14. Because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. This is mind-blowing to me, this example that Paul sets. He says that people have become more confident in the Lord because of my chains. I have been chained up, and because I have continued to proclaim the message of the gospel, continue to praise Jesus in the midst of those circumstances, others have become confident in the Lord, and they have made a commitment to proclaim the gospel without fear. So when you and I remain joyful in the midst of circumstances, they don't have to be fun, they don't have to be happy, people take note of that. The world takes note of that. And when we have a joy that supersedes how we feel in the moment, it is contagious. People want to be around it. People want to be around 
joyful people. People want to be around people who don't suck all the energy out of the room, but bring life to people. People who don't make life all about themselves, they don't take themselves so seriously all the time. That's why one of our core values at Rolling Hills Community Church is joy. To be a place of joy, to pursue joy. So what does that mean for you? What does that mean for you as we close today? Maybe whatever you had in your mind that moves you from a 3 to a 10. Whatever you had in your mind that moves you from a 5 to a 10 on the joy scale, do you think that will still accomplish it? Or is there something deeper? Maybe those list of things that we come up with maybe not br- might not bring us a lot of joy. They might bring us some happiness. But see, joy is greater than all of those things. And my prayer is that the fruit would grow in our life because that fruit is evidence and that fresh fruit is life-giving and it's meaningful. So let's make a commitment to grow in that today. Lord, thank you for who you are. God, you are so good. And we love you and we're thankful, God, that you are here and that you're working in ways that we can see and ways that we can't see. And I pray that if we're struggling with joy this morning, God, help us to not just pursue happiness, but to pursue joy that comes from you. And if there's folks here that don't have that relationship with you, may today be the day that they surrender their life to you because that's where the joy starts. That's where our joy is found. So we thank you, God, for meeting us here. We're thankful for your presence in this place. And we're grateful, God, for an opportunity to now go and to share joy with those we come in contact with. And it's in the powerful name of Jesus Christ that we pray and ask all these things. Amen and amen. That's the end of this episode on the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast, part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network. Before you go, we invite you to think about who you could share this sermon with. Click the subscribe button so that you can be notified each time we release a new sermon. Did you know Rolling Hills publishes other podcasts too? Check out the Making History and Parenting podcast, Men's Leadership Network, and the RH Women's As You Go podcast. If you're interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, download our app, follow us on social media, or visit our website at rollinghills.church. We're thankful you spent some time with us today. We'll see you next time.